The OneStream Global Education Services team proudly presents the OneStream Podcast with your host, Peter Fugere. Greetings, fellow OneStreamers, and welcome to the OneStream Podcast, where we explore and examine all things OneStream, talk to experts in the industry, and gain knowledge from some of the brightest minds that help deliver and implement solutions for our clients. This episode is part of the OneStream Expert Series, where we explore and examine the fundamental concepts, tools, and topics surrounding OneStream. And in this, our second season, we're diving into how customer business requirements become real solutions. I'm your host, Peter Fugere, Chief Solutions Officer at OneStream Software. I'm grateful to welcome Liz Ware, partner at Nova CPM. Welcome, Liz. Hi, thank you for having me, Peter. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about this today. We've been going through sort of the implementation phase, and we're starting to dig into different parts of it. And, and prototyping is a, to me, it's a critical one. So I'm happy to have you on board. But first, b- before we get into that, tell me about Nova CPM, a little bit about your history and what makes you guys special. Yeah, sure. So Nova CPM. Um, so we've been around, uh, I would say about 15 years. Uh, the first, uh, you know, 10 years of our experience, we f- uh, focused primarily in finance transformation projects. So we served our clients, you know, really, we, we covered everything, everything from your initial scoping and strategic phases, you know, talking to leadership, trying to understand what the goal is in terms of major change, and then everything from, you know, developing IT roadmaps and vendor selection, and when the implementations would start, everything from initial requirement sessions through design, build, data conversion. I can't tell you how many data conversion projects I've been on. And then, you know, within the change management and training and rollout. So, you know, we were very successful in the finance transformation space. And I I mentioned uh, vendor selection. And it's funny, in 2017, I was at a client that needed to get off of their consolidation and planning solution. And we had a number of vendors come in and OneStream was one of them. So, you know, at the time we were we were familiar with OneStream, but we hadn't really experienced it yet. And we were very impressed. We really yeah. were love the story. And with that, we kind of, you know, we, of course, advised our client to purchase OneStream and they did go through forward with that. But then as a as a group, Nova CPM decided to commit 100 percent from moving from finance transformation to just implementation with OneStream only starting in 2018. So we're coming up on our fifth year. You guys are 100 percent OneStream at Nova now, huh? Yeah, that's great. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the prototype session. Why don't you tell me what how you define it to a customer and maybe how you think it helps a customer? Yeah, so I think prototypes are probably one of the most critical aspects of implementation for success. So I, it's funny, one of my favorite movies is Glengarry Glenn Ross. And there's a saying great in the movie. movie, always be closing, right? So I joke with my teams, always be prototyping, right? We call them conference room pilots just to keep the ABC going. But the, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's great because, you, you know, you have one platform where you have planning, consolidations, maybe account recs and a few others, and then you add extensibility to the mix. And so you can have a requirement session and you can be, it can be clear what they want. But when you're going through design and maybe following having follow-up conversations, it's you feel as though your clients still aren't quite getting what, or we're not just not on the same page yet. Or maybe you want to show something so, they, so that we can have better requirements coming out of it. So you start doing prototypes. Um, you get your users logged into the solution, you know, start building some designs that you have discussed. And what frequently happens is you get better requirements because of them. And if you do them early enough in the process, it's not too late to make major design changes. Yeah, I think it's I think some of the concepts are tough to visualize. And there's mm-hmm. there's so many options to do things. And I, I yeah. even like to tell 
uh, people, like we've talked about this before on the podcast, like you fall into this trap of like, um, how do you want it? Well, how do you, how do you think we should set it up? And, you know, it's sort of this weird back and forth, but when they can see it, you know, sort of even touch it, you know, like log on and play with it a little bit, it really accelerates the conversation. And you said you, you do it early in the project. How soon is too soon? Or how often do you guys prototype in the, in the project phase? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's dependent on the client in terms of how much time we have for build and so forth. But I actually propose having conference room pilots or prototypes almost you know, very soon. Yeah. Uh, once you kind of have your user group identified and, you know, figure out an area what, that you want to focus on. Um, so when we do prototypes, you know, let's just say we're having one for, say, uh, workflows. So you don't even need to have your metadata figured out or any reports identified at that point. You really just need to get, hey, we keep talking about workflow and, you know, a user can see us show them, you know, screenshots or whatever, or do a live demo using our application. But until they've logged in and really experienced it for themselves, a workflow conversation is not very productive. So what we'll do is, you know, maybe a week or so before prototype and we always give homework. So we say, hey, you know, here's the steps you're going to need to do to log into OneStream, you know, and then when you're there, we always say, send us a screenshot. You know, we send us a screenshot of your homepage and your workflows and so forth. And it actually helps in a number of ways. Number one, they learn how to log into OneStream. And then second, you can start maybe testing some security. But then you start opening up the workflow. And by no means does the workflow need to be perfect. It's really just trying to show like, okay, here's where you'll import your data. Here's where you will maybe book journal entries. Uh, Here's where we could do roll forwards and forms or things like that. And because of that, they're going to see it. They're going to see how their process might work. And they can apply this new knowledge to their process today and what they want to change going forward. So maybe they can leave that session being like, oh, you know what? We told you guys we were going to do you know, this with our data integrations. But now that I've seen this is how it works on OneStream, let's change that to do this, you know, whatever it is. So I, I feel like you know, just doing workflow can be really beneficial for an overall um, timeline. And I, I've had prototypes for a number of different concepts, but we're just speaking for, I'm just doing workflow here. Yeah. So besides workflow, because that, that's one where I, I always do it too. And I think, um, you know, workflow, like you said, I mean, you, you sort of laid it out perfectly. I mean, the end users, they're not as tuned in. They're not as focused as the core team. So it's tough to, um, you know, get get across to them concepts of, of what the product can do and the designs. They might have only seen one demo and then you're putting this in front of them and they're not as dedicated as the core team that's probably building. And And you've got to get them on board and a workflows, a, a prototype rather is a great way to do it, especially with workflow. Yeah, I agree. But that said, like what, what other things do you do? Like do you do reports or dashboards or what other ones have you done? So we've had prototypes um, specifically to test out some extensibility um, options. So what we'll do is, you know, um, in some of our implementations, we, especially during our COVID years, where we all kind of had to do our requirement sessions remotely. So you have all these different groups that are stakeholders and they're providing their thoughts in terms of how they want to see their data, right? Yeah. If you have users, especially with lots of cubes and lots of different dimension structures, that doesn't make a lot of sense until you actually see how it kind of all hangs together and, hey, you want you know, business unit A, you want to see your product structure this way, and maybe you want to plan and do reporting down to the SKU level or whatever it is, right? And then we talk to your, your leadership team or your ELT, and they say, you know what, we don't care about SKUs. We want to see this level of product hierarchy. 
And so then when we start, you know, loading some data in and, you know, we talk to business unit A and they see that what they want, and then maybe we'll get to, you know, the leadership team and kind of how it all hangs together. And they might be like, oh gosh, you know, based on the feedback from business unit A or business unit B, maybe we want to change the way we want to do reporting. And with that, you can talk about, well, with extensibility, you know, we're planning down the SKU down here. If you want to change your product structure around or even your customer reporting, so it does channel view or whatever, in extensibility, this is all we have to do. Like the data's there, we just move things around a bit. And that sets off a light bulb for a lot of our customers in terms of, oh, I get it. And now I understand how extensibility is. And then you talk through some of the things that they need to think about, you know, if they ever extend or create a new cube or do a new acquisition. So it helps people think about not only the design at hand, but how this kind of gets rolled out and used going forward. You know, I, I think of like in an agile sort of implementation, you're kind of like, you know, building things, showing things, getting feedback. How is a prototype different or is it the same as kind of that agile methodology of getting, you know, sort of going through those cycles? Yeah, I so that's a great question. And, and I just kind of like giggled a little bit because yeah. I, we just had this conversation with our um, project management team at Nova. And it's this conversation of, is it waterfall? Is this agile? What is this? And how does the prototype fit into it? And from an right. agile perspective, you know, a prototype is iterative. So it kind of meets that definition of what agile is. You know, you're kind of working on a sprint and you're getting your requirements, you're going back and changing things. But I would say it's kind of a mix because at some point you are going to go live. You have to stop with requirements and changing what you're going to do. And I think it's a, it's a little bit in the middle where, you know, we're working towards a goal. Um, yes, of course, you can take your prototype and that's going to be maybe your foundation for the next thing you build and kind of add to it. But I would say it's kind of in the mix. So it is very agile in its approach, but um, it's not 100% agile in terms of, you know, I believe at the end of the day, you're always kind of working in sprints with agile. That's not quite how this works. You know, we are working towards a go live and all that. But I I do think it is a good fit or it's kind of a hybrid agile, if you will. Yeah, I I get that. I I agree. I mean, I think like um, a prototype is more of a validation or a teaching tool and less of a... Um, let's rethink our whole project sort of thing, which sometimes you do in Agile. Like you can go completely off the rails. What are great questions to ask a client when you're sitting down and starting to put together like the scope of the prototype and and, uh, sort of build the requirements around it? What do you you look for? What do you ask? The first thing I want to talk about is, you know, who's, who needs to attend the prototype? Are we trying to expand this to all of your user base? Is it some very specific stakeholders? You know, that's the first thing you want to figure out is who's the population, I think, you know, in terms of who are the participants. Because from there, you can customize the scope of the prototype a little bit. So, for example, if if you're having, um, you know, maybe just the FP&A team. Yep. So you don't probably need to get into the close process that much, right? Of course, they care about the close process. It's important to them, but you don't really need to go into the detail with that. Um, so I think that the, the participants is important. So that's item number one. Item number two is I also look, you know, for areas where, as you mentioned before, the client says, hey, what do you recommend or what do your other clients do, right? That's where I think it's good to show them kind of regroup on those conversations and be like, all right, well, this is something where you're looking for some guidance in terms of other experiences we've had. Maybe we need to circle back on that and show you some of the options because I think at many times, Clients are looking for guidance in those areas. So I would kind of also isolate to some of those areas where maybe they haven't made up their mind yet in what they want. They just want to get some options out there. And do you use surveys? Have you ever used surveys to sort of build out the requirements for for the prototype? Yeah, or is it- yeah. So- 
to some extent. So I find that surveys are, and I'll even speak to it from my own personal experience, right? A survey is only as good as the questions that are asked and the people they're asked to. Yeah. And there is nothing more frustrating than getting a survey with like 15 questions and you have 10 tabs of 15 questions and it gets frustrating. So I think a survey that is short and sweet where you're saying, hey, you know, was was the prototype successful? What could it, you know, was it, was it clear communication? Do you feel like the right people were participating? All that kind of stuff can be helpful. But sometimes it's, I, I know there are people that don't like to, to raise um, feedback up during sessions, but we tried to lead our prototype sessions that are very open to feedback. Like, Hey, what, how do you guys think this is going? Are you confused? Are you getting your questions answered? I feel like it's much more effective to have drive out those, those questions in the prototype itself versus a survey, but we have used them to some, to, for somewhat successfully. Um, you know, it's only as good as people that actually respond to them. And that, that sounds like it, it, you use, I mean, it's a great way to get feedback and it sounds like that's the way you guys use them. It's a great way to get feedback and hear what, what people are thinking mm-hmm. and, and you're, you're hitting the mark or not with the, the prototype. What can the client do to prepare? Like how should the client prepare for uh, building out prototypes? Is there anything they can do to help the process? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's always engagement. So making sure that the clients ensure that the right people are attending, that they are, they realize that, you know, this is important and here's why. So, you know, engagement for me is number one from the client to make sure that, Hey, we have the success needed. Also item number two is we define the scope. They need to be able to almost repeat back to you what it is, the purpose of the prototype is and um, why they're doing it. Because if they're not on the same page for the benefit of the prototype, why have it? So if they can't clearly define why we're doing it, who's attending, what it's for, then the, the, then it's not really an effective prototype. Yeah. I, I even like to have uh, the clients sort of tell me like who the right people are to do in a prototype. And I don't know if you guys mm-hmm. do this or not, but I've, I've used the method where we, we sort of like expand the uh, the tent you know, and bring in more people. And we start with sometimes maybe the toughest critics, um, you know, initially, mm-hmm. you know, because th- we're getting their buy-in and then their input on design. And uh, it also, um, you know, once once they've they've given us that feedback, it's it's easier for you to like manage the, uh, you know, the scuttlebutt about the project too. You know what I mean? And and um, it, you sort of expand it, and you bring in more and more people and. Um, it's, it, it, for me, it's easier to manage if one person's really unhappy than if I rolled it out to everybody and everybody's unhappy, you know what I mean? And then just sort of go from I, there. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. But, yeah. It's funny. So every client has a squeaky wheel, right? So, yes. you know, we usually do kind of have our prototypes putting them first because, you know, first and foremost, they're going to give you the most productive feedback. Now, whether you like it or don't like it, it's still productive. It, right. Bad feedback is just as good as good feedback in my eyes, right? So making sure that person or group is pleased or, you know, they agree with the direction you're going in is, is super valuable. Also, if they're happy, you know, they're they're squeaky, right? So they're, they're vocal. So if they're happy, they're going to tell people that things are going well and the project's going well or whatever. So, you know, it gets some buy-in for later parallels like, oh, we met with so-and-so and this is their feedback and they're happy or whatever. And, you know, so it's always good to kind of take care of the squeaky wheels first right? so that they can, you know, create kind of momentum behind you. Oh, it can get a lot of momentum. I mean, you know, oh, you got Claire from accounting happy? Like, this must be a great project, you know, like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, so you can really build momentum. How do you handle the the question or the concern uh, from some people? This is throwaway work, you know, um, 
you know, are we going to yeah. use this? Is this a waste of our time? How do you manage that? That's a good question. And it comes up almost every time with prototypes. And I think actually, even when we talk to executive steering committees and so forth about the benefits of prototype, I think almost in every single one of deck we've ever had is this is not throwaway work. And yes, maybe what you've built may not meet the requirement, but the the information you're going to gather from it is is super helpful. But also too, let's not lose sight of that education perspective where, okay, so maybe the prototype wasn't successful in terms of what we built meets what they thought the requirement was. Okay, that's fair. You know, we can certainly, we can regroup on that and get something better done. But the user experience of, you know, user seeing workflow or whatever your prototype is, um, gaining knowledge, and then it makes their ability to provide feedback even more effective because they speak the language. They've seen how workflow works. They're like, oh, you know, that import step and, or that journal step. Can we work on maybe that template we talked about? And it makes everything better. So it's not throwaway work. Maybe the actual, you know, piece of the application you were building is a complete bust and you have to start from scratch. But by no means is that throwaway because of that, that education occurs. So is one prototype enough? Is two um, how many how many do you normally do on a project and and you know is is it just to sort of validate the design and you move on or where do you use prototypes prototypes I, I don't think there's a magic number um, I do feel that one is usually not enough um, two is getting close I think okay so maybe I do have a magic number I think three is probably good um, having one fairly early in the project timeline, you know, you can cover some basic things like we talked about workflow already. You could have a second prototype just for reporting. You could even have a prototype for data integrations, you know, for making sure the data comes in and the actual data looks right. So it doesn't have to be always necessarily within the application. I think there's a lot of different uses of it. Um, I have had a client that had 16. Uh, there's a long story behind that one, but there that was almost too many because you get into the conversation of, you know, um, at some point, the prototypes just to have them is unproductive. You know, you have a team that needs to start building stuff and, you know, going through the motions. But I have to say with that client, by the time we got to parallel and rollout for go live, the parallel was absolutely non-issue. User acceptance testing, absolute non-issue because that client had already basically been using OneStream for several months due to all those prototypes. So I think there is a trade-off in terms of the more prototypes you have, the easier life is on the back end. Um, so I, I do feel that more than two, less than 16 is the right number <laughs> of prototypes for, for clients. Well, I think anything could be overkill, but I, my takeaway from this conversation is prototypes are an invaluable tool to, for a project. I mean, they explain the most complex things. You get buy-in, um, you get support, you're training your end users. I mean, am I missing anything? No, I agree completely. And how do you measure success with the prototype? That's a great question. I, I think the number one is the most, the more feedback we get back. So, or even the level of engagement in the room. So if you're showing someone or a group of users, Hey, this is, this is what we've following our workflow conversation. You know, this is the workflows that, you know, we've heard your requirements. This is, you know, your, what we think you need. Right. And I feel it's a, a, a successful prototype if they're asking a lot of questions. 
if they're saying, okay, you know, I know I said that, but what about it? What about if this X, Y, Z happens or what if this happens? And, you know, you don't need to have the answers in that session, especially if it's something related to design, but the, if they're engaged in our understanding, you know, what you're showing them, I think that's successful. Number two is I like all feedback, whether it's negative or positive. So if someone sends a, you know, hey, thank you for the session today. Here's my 50 comments of how this needs to change. That to me is success. Uh, you know, the more negative feedback or areas of improvement that you can get coming out of a um, prototype is going to make the next prototype even better. Um, yeah. like you know what the person's focusing on, what that group's focusing on, and you can really drive out the requirements that you may not even have known existed prior to receiving that, you know, 50, you know, 50 bullet point um, email. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. The only thing worse than negative feedback is apathy, right? Like if they just don't care, yeah. you're not, you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're just sort of building out some generic thing and maybe, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. So I'd love to ask everybody, every podcast, I ask everybody what, what, they, what they think of the platform and how they explain the platform. So I'll ask you, how, how do you explain extensibility in a platform to the client? How do, you, how do you get that across? Yeah, so for extensibility, I tend to focus more on the language of their business, right? So I think of it as you, let's just, for example, say we're talking about um, a client that has a number of uh, different, very different business units or different um uh, you know, maybe one's in agriculture, maybe one's in manufacturing. And right, like you would think on paper, they really have nothing in common, right? But at the end of the day, you have a leadership team that leads both, even though they're, they're completely two different business, business units. And what, what extensibility does is it allows each one of those business units to kind of run their business and speak their own languages. But it brings it all together at the top of the, at the house, if you will, at the consolidated level of like one one language, one voice. So for example, let's just say you're in the agricultural, you know, you have a business unit and I mentioned this, you know, previously with channel, right? So I've got an agricultural, you know, business unit, I've got a manufacturing business unit. And then, you know, you have leadership teams that kind of say like, well, I need to know who my customers are. I need to see what my channels are, you know, in terms of do I sell, um, you know, to retail businesses or whatever it is, right? And so when you talk about, hey, you know, business unit A, all you, you're in the agricultural business and here's the things that you want to report by. Here's your products. Here's your customers. Here's, you know, whatever your cost centers, departments, whatever you want to track. And then you have the same conversation with business unit B, which is the manufacturing. On paper, it's a very different business, right? But what you realize with extensibility is that it's kind of a similar language. You know, when the leadership team does their reporting, they want to see them combined. And they want to see their view of, hey, customers and cost centers and products, whatever it is. So, you know, it's one language at the top. So that's, you know, kind of like your global view of the world, if you will. And then you have your individual business units that still can run their business independently. So they can do their planning or uh, reporting by SKU, for example, for your manufacturing business or whatever your business is for agriculture so that they do their own thing. They got their own little management reports just for their individual business units. But then they have to kind of bring it all together up at the top of the house. And so that, you know, there is one way to do it. So the way I always describe it is it allows everyone to kind of run their business and report their business their own way they want to, but then you're going to be speaking the same language as your leadership team because you're reporting into their structure. So it's always hanging together. Do you recommend any any deliverables come out of a prototype session? Meaning, like, are there any is there any documentation or testing documentation that you guys provide, or 
um, do you keep it kind of loose? No, we keep it very structured. Um, normally when we do our prototypes, about a week before uh, the, the prototype, we send out documentation. So documentation will be, here's the agenda and the objectives that we're trying to accomplish. Number two, we usually send out a bit of training material in terms of things that they that users can complete in advance of the session so they can come in somewhat prepared. And we usually provide a homework assignment with something they have to send maybe a screenshot back. I've had prototypes where, um, or even conference room pilots on reporting, and you know we may ask them to use the Excel add-in, for example, and you know we ask them to do like a particular point of view and send us the cube view back or the screenshot back. Um, that helps us get ahead of any security issues in, as well in advance. And then we also, um, as a follow-up to these sessions, you know we will follow up asking for feedback, saying, hey, you know here's what we the objectives of the session were, can you please provide feedback on these items by this day? And if we don't hear anything, you know, we'll usually follow up within a day or two trying to really instill in them the importance of feedback. So our our prototypes are actually are pretty formal in terms of what we provide in advance and then our expectations after. So let me ask you, um, tell me, this is a, a fun question for me. I don't know if anybody else is interested, but tell me three things you wish you knew before you got into consulting. So I've always been in client service. So I started my career in audit and I've always been kind of on the client service side. So I, I suppose for, for the most part, I've been in this kind of career. This has been always been my career as consulting to an extent. I think, though, if I were to tell, you know, someone that's graduating from college, you know, the pros or cons and consulting versus something else. I think the first thing is you have to be focused on customer success at all times. Yeah. Um, so what that means is that sometimes there are sacrifices you have to make in order to you know, please your clients, and that is the nature of the game. So number one is you will be very much focused on client service if you're going to be successful. Um, number two being don't, don't ever plan on that 100% your vacations are always going to happen when they're supposed to, but that's also the nature of the game. I think also the third thing, which I think is a selling point for consulting, um, is that you're, you may have you may be consulting your entire career, but with it you're going to have many 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 career changes. And what I mean by that is, I feel like every time I go to a new client, I'm kind of starting over. I'm learning, you know, a new business. I'm meeting new people. I'm making new connections. You have yeah. to prove yourself kind of all over again. And it's almost like starting a, a new job. Um, yeah. So with that, it you need to have that mindset. Uh, a, you know, a it's drifter mindset. New, what I'm doing like a, today. <laughs> Yeah, Rolling from yeah. town to town and not, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, funny. that's a great way to say it. And I, yeah. And so I, I, that's great if you're someone that's really curious and you like to learn about new businesses and meet new people, I think it's awesome. But if you're someone that, you know, like, I'd really like to know what I'm going to be doing two years from now and what building I'm going to be sitting in and all that stuff, you know, maybe consulting's yeah. not for you. Yeah. Let me ask you another question about the industry. What do you think are some of the most interesting technology predictions or disruptive technologies you think businesses need to think about this year and beyond? Machine learning. Um, you know, if you have a client that's really struggling with, say, you know, trying to do their budget and forecasts and they're just missing every year. And, you know, if they could just be some improvement in that process, I think machine learning can really be a benefit to them. Um, obviously, it's not a perfect science yet. It's always improving. But I do feel like there's a lot of good potential in that area. Yeah, I, I agree. I think machine learning is probably the most interesting thing for CPM in the sense that, um, you know, those algorithms seem to get smarter and smarter and can really drive, you know, what what's driving the numbers. And you could see it at a, a crazy detail 
Um, and I, I really love the way OneStream's uh, solution is, is sort of bringing that reporting together and integrating the budget. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more, uh, we call it sensible machine learning, uh, but seeing more of those SML projects at OneStream. So I think that'll be really interesting too. Yeah, yeah. Another great discussion. Thank you very much for bringing your expertise to the podcast today. And thank you, fellow OneStreamers, for joining us. Remember, if you like this content, please don't forget to subscribe. We'd love to hear from you. Questions, comments, or concerns, please reach out at podcast at onestreamsoftware.com. I look forward to bringing you another exciting podcast. And until then, take care, and I'll see you next time on The OneStream Podcast. The OneStream Podcast is brought to you by the OneStream Global Education Services team.